This is episode 81 of the Rising Man podcast with Ricardo Sierra. The wild still lingered in him, and the wolf in him merely slept. Blessings, Rising Man family, and a very warm welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. If you don't know by now, I'm your host and the creator of this show, Jetty Azuma, and we've got an incredible episode today with another fantastic brother of mine. You might have heard about our newest event, Call of the Warrior. I've only been talking about it every week for the past month by now, so if you haven't heard yet, let me remind you, this is our one-day immersive event. We're going to have over 100 men gathering down in LA on September 7th. It's going to be an opportunity for us to awaken our masculine power, our masculine energy through the ceremonial dance of the Maori people called the Haka. You can register now at rise.jettyazuma.com warrior. More information, including a badass video that my man Rowan put together for all you guys to get a sense of what this event is all about. Make sure you get your tickets, okay? Make sure you get your tickets because this one's definitely going to sell out and you don't want to miss it. Believe that. All right, my guest for today is Ricardo Sierra. Ricardo created the Hawk Circle Wilderness Camp and Earth Mentoring Institute to bring nature education to children and adults. His recent TEDx talk dissects nature deficit disorder, our crisis unfolding in the current generation, and how the natural advantage can help our children adapt to a rapidly changing world. In this episode, we talked about the costs of disassociating ourselves from the natural world, how seeing ourselves as separate will ultimately lead to our demise. We spoke about the importance of wilderness exposure and education for all of us, children and adults, and how we can co-steward in this new wave of wilderness and nature competence that the overwhelming majority of us are so sorely lacking. We discussed the intricacies of rites of passage and initiations, diving into how the adolescent traffic jam of the past few generations has produced boys in suits trying to be men, and what we can do to reverse this trend and free up the jam. Lastly, we talked about the natural advantage that can be gained by Ricardo's three-pronged approach, connecting to the natural world, having skills you can use to take care of yourself, and bonding with others, and so much more. I could have talked to this man for days, but we kept it to under an hour. So enjoy without further ado, Ricardo Sierra. All right, Rising Man family, got another amazing man joining me for what I think is going to be a very powerful and interesting conversation. My new brother, introduced to me by my friend Rowan Tyne, Ricardo Sierra, coming in live from upstate New York near the Baseball Hall of Fame. Is that correct? That's right. Cherry Valley, right near Cooperstown. All right. Well, it's good to have you here, man. Thank you for being here today. And, and I'll also add, since we were just talking about it before we started recording, that you're a West Coaster who went East. Now, that's that kind of interests me because I don't know a lot of people who go from west to east. So, what, what was the what was the inspiration to go out to the east coast? What what was that short story? My, when I was about nine, my mom moved back east, you know, kind of to be part of a community. So, as a little kid, I you know went with my mom. What we did was get you know I went all the way through high school on the east coast at that point, and it's kind of like a curse if you're from the east coast. And you move west, you miss the thunderstorms, you miss the fireflies, you miss the snow and all that yes. sort of thing. But then when you go to the New York or to you go east, then you start missing the redwood trees, the eucalyptus, the ocean, you know, the dry heat or whatever. So it's kind of like wherever you're at, you're kind of yeah. cursed at that point. So that's that's kind of what I've been seeing. Yeah. 
Yeah, man, I totally understand that. Definitely been missing the season since I've been out here. I, I tell people that where I live in Southern California, I could wake up. If I was in a coma, I could wake up and I'd have no clue what time of year it was based on Absolutely. the based on the weather. It could be August, it could be January. You never know. But I don't miss the 90 degree days with the 100% humidity <laughs> that you guys are starting to walk You're into right, right now. <laughs> that I don't, that I don't miss. I, I could do away with yeah. that. Well, and it's getting a little worse with the global warming or whatever you call it. It's it's been hot here over the last few years in the summers and it just it's pretty intense, you know? No no question. Mm. No question. No joke about it. No joke about it. And, and that's actually a good segue into introducing our topic for today. I've already mentioned it in the introduction, but Ricardo is a man who has uh, been mentoring youth and teaching wilderness skills, wilderness education, and using that as a vehicle to help develop our young people. And Rowan is actually someone who's been who's gone through your circles and gone through your programs, and that's how we came to know each other. So everyone who's been listening knows that this is a major topic on my heart, the way that I like to raise my boy and now my my, my 12-week-old daughter who's here now, she'll be getting the same experience. And I think it's also important for all of us to be in this conversation about our connection with nature and wilderness as adults, because we're the ones who are going to be teaching and ushering in this culture to, to the young ones. So before we jump into all of that, let me ask you this question. What to you is the difference between a boy and a man? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I think a boy is someone who doesn't really quite know themselves and has a lot of areas where they haven't really tested or, you know, pushed out to see, well, who am I? Where am I? You know, it, I don't think it's something that's like a, a, a fast line that you cross suddenly, you know, like, oh, I'm in high school. Now I'm a man or I got my license. Now I'm a man or now I joined the army. I'm a man. But more like once as you've experienced life and you experience testing yourself and pushing yourself a little bit and, and having some uh, uh, time, some time invested in that, you start to kind of get a sense of who you are and what you stand for. And I think that is where that manhood part really starts to solidify. Well, I really, I really just, like that answer to, to yeah. that question because I agree with you. There, there's, there's hardly any hard lines in, in our lives and, and our development as humans. It's, it's more of a, of a gradual transition. And the belief that we can actually point to, that's a boy, that's a man, I, I think is, it, it, it's a disservice. Right. However, I, there, there are things that we called hard lines or thresholds. So I know in, in terms of initiation and rites of passage, we're marking a threshold to create a distinction between one way of being and another. Yeah. And some of these hard lines emerge in life. I don't think there are many. I've talked about it on the podcast before. When my son was born, and I laid eyes on him for the first time, I felt a, what I call a cellular shift, a 180 degree pivot in this is how I was before, where life was still about me. Right. And this is where I am now, where I'll do anything for this little being and whatever it takes to provide for him and provide for my family. So I love that answer to the question because a lot of times we're looking at boy and man. The boy wants so desperately to become a man because he sees men around him and men are the one men are valued for specific skills and specific values that they bring to the community. But we're also we'd be lost without the boy too. Yeah. So isn't isn't that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, like having a relationship with someone that is a committed relationship, whether it's a man or woman, you know, like that's a that's a threshold. You have, you know, making a commitment to a job or or to your community making a commitment to have a family. There's so many different areas where 
you know, you can cross that threshold and, and actually accomplish something. And I think in some ways that's, that's the line is what are you committed to? You know, whereas I think a boy is kind of committed to Grand Theft Auto or something, you know, like they're committed to, you know, something that has to do more with just like taking care of themselves or making themselves happy. And then, mm-hmm. you know, at, at whatever cost to the people around them, whether you're living in your parents' basement or you're, you know, being a player or whatever you want to call that, um, mm-hmm. that kind of, that kind of behavior kind of feels like they're, they're really only committed to themselves. And then, and then there's a shift that I think happens in tribal cultures earlier than it does in today's culture, where the tribal culture is all about like, at what point can you begin to help support the tribe? Can you, can you get meat for mm-hmm. our, for the elder, the elders that are there that can't hunt anymore? You know, can you provide mm-hmm. and gather healing herbs or can you do something to help others in the tribe? Whereas before you're kind of young and, you know, you might get a couple of sticks of firewood or something, but you're not really contributing yet. So right. yeah, those are kind of like things that how I kind of see the world a little bit, but you know, there's a, there, it is a yeah. spectrum. It's definitely a spectrum. Well, and, and that gives me something, a thought that I haven't had before that as humans, it, we've created these milestone markers. We, we've created mileposts for ourselves, even in tribal societies where they have rites of passage and rituals to delineate adolescence and adulthood and, and, and to serve a purpose and even getting married. We have a ceremony of marriage where you go from being single to now you're in, in a long-term commitment. Right. And there's a, there's a function and a service to that because outside of those delineations, we're in this gray area of becoming. Yeah. And that's, that's what's happening no matter what. But it seems like there is a, a purpose behind drawing a line and stepping over it. There's something, there must be something in our psyche that understands and recognizes, oh, I've made it to this point. I'm stepping forward and there's no going back. Right. That's really powerful. And that's what I've found in my own rites of passage, going on vision quest and other types of initiations that similar to that cellular shift, not quite the same as having a child because that's just, that's way up there, but definitely feeling I'm different now. I've stepped into a new level, a new chapter, a new way of being. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the the idea between an initiation and a, and a rite of passage, uh, people ask me that a lot. They say, "What's the difference?" And I always say that you know, a rite of passage is as a ritual. It's a ritual of passage. So there's usually a you know a marriage ceremony, or there's a high school graduation ceremony, or there's you know like the, the birth of your child, and or a, you know like a baby shower, things like that that announce announce to everybody in the community the ritual. You know, like taking like marriage. The ritual is, it's a very personal bond between you and your partner, but at the same time, it's also a ritual for the community to say, hey, everybody, these two people are no longer on the market. And we, ha- and in order for community to do well, we have to support that relationship. So therefore, everybody pay attention. This person's, you know, if you see them down by the watering hole, <laughs> this is not, they're not free game anymore. And we all know it. And we're all here in the, in the village knowing that. And so when we lived in that kind of small tribal mm. community, it was very important for everybody to get really, really crystal clear and dial in on that. Mm. Whereas at the same time, an initiation is something where, you know, like you might break your leg and all of a sudden, like you're here, you are running mm. all over the place. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I need a, I need somebody to go get me a drink of water. I need to grab my crutches and hobble around. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to go see Avengers or whatever without a lot of work. <laughs> and so I'm suddenly now a person that needs to ask for help. And so that, but that's not necessarily, there's a ceremony, but you've suddenly gone and said, oh, I'm in a whole different territory now. Just going to the bathroom is a, is a big deal. I got to plan that in advance. I can't wait till the last minute and then try to hobble to the bathroom or whatever. So like, mm. there's all this learning that happens in that initiation 
that you, it's not necessarily going to be celebrated by our community or even by your circle of friends. You're just going to, you're just in it and you're mm-hmm. on the ride. And so, you know, but we're always going through initiations, you know, especially if we're, the more uncomfortable we are, the more likely we are we're in an initiation, I think. So, you know, you might say that the whole country is mm-hmm. in an initiation when you have somebody like Donald Trump in the office and it's like, this is all territory or like the way it was with when Obama, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like the, our community, our world can be in an initiation at the same time. And there is some, mm. there is just part of, I think that's just part of life in a way, but, but they are two separate things, you know? Yeah. In a way. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. And it, it makes me think of Joseph Campbell and what he speaks about in the hero's journey with the, with the ordeal. Right. And the, the, the dark night of the soul, whatever that is, the ordeal that we must go through in order to rise from the ashes and, and persevere. Right. It sound, I hear a lot of that in, in your definition of initiation. And I agree with it, that, as a people collectively and as individuals, we're constantly going through these initiations that yes. that launch us into another, a new, another way of being. And a, and a lot of them happen just by living life. Right. <laughs> like you said, you might be going along and then you break your leg. And that's, I, I really like that context for how we look at initiation. And so I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that one. Cause I've never, I haven't heard someone describe it that way before. Yeah. I want to, I want to shift gears for a second because you're, it's, it's a, it's a good pivot point for where I, I really want to focus in next we're talking about a lot of ceremony, ritual, initiation, and some of this may be foreign to people who are listening. And that's, to me, that's a reflection of the work that needs to be done right now. You know, even, even marriage as an example, the context you gave behind a marriage of the community recognizing that two individuals are committed to each other, they're off the market. And, and not only that, but we as a community now must circle around and support and uphold that because it doesn't just benefit them and their family. It benefits this whole operation of the village, of the tribe. Right. So much of the original purpose behind that has been lost in, these, in the modern versions of these ceremonies. Now marriage is almost like a business transaction. It's like an acquisition of, you know, <laughs> exchange of assets, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And the purpose and the context of why this, what this stuff was originally created has evaporated in a large part. And I think that's a reflection of how far away we've gotten from these natural ways of being, from our connection to nature, from our connection to the elements in our environment. So... I just want to open it up a little bit here and hear you speak about your your perceptions of that, especially because you've committed your work to educating our young people with wilderness as the vehicle. So you must be seeing something here that we're both on the same page with. Yeah, it's true. I think in some ways, I think in a lot of ways, this is just my perspective and I'm just thinking about it loosely here. But, you know, when the Industrial Revolution came, we had a lot of people that were our elders that were suddenly like working in a factory and they weren't really part of the community except that they would work in the factory all day and then come home and be exhausted and then go back out again. Mm-hmm. And after you have, you know, five mm-hmm. or six or seven or 10 generations of people doing that, your your elders, you know, as they get older, they, they aren't really, they don't quite know what the community needs. All they know is they need to go home and go to sleep and then do their laundry and, and all that. And, mm. and so in a lot of ways, our culture today has lost that elder component. We don't have a lot of elders who can step in and say, hey, I see you're struggling or, hey, you know, this is a t- good time for us to talk about, you know, things that need to be done or, or things that might help you with whatever you're working on. And mm-hmm. so when you, when you lose those elders, then you lose the rituals and you lose the conversations and you lose the, you know, kind of the customs that, and the support. So a lot of the people like yourself or myself, we've grown up without those elders. I, I can feel that when I run my program, this is our 30th year. 
I haven't had a lot of elders supporting what I do in the sense of mm. somebody I could turn to. I mean, I have, don't get me wrong. We have really wonderful people that donate and help us and support us. But you know, when it comes to, when it comes to having that elder kind of like that, that overarching umbrella that kind of is there, you know, that there's some, or it's like a net underneath you. So if you catch, if you take a risk and there's going to be that net under you to catch you, we don't really have that anymore. And there is a feeling, I, I do mm-hmm. believe that a lot of people today feel, they feel uncovered and they feel that there's no net. So there's nothing to catch them. And I think that's partly why we're obsessed in a way with uh, like, you know, the healthcare plans and so forth, because we're like, there's no net under us. If we get sick, that's it, you know? And there's, we're stressed right. about those things. And there's that psychic net or this emotional net that, that we're really craving up to. And the thing is, is that most people aren't really even aware that they, that they're craving that like kids will come to our camp and, mm. and, or when we are in a program, they don't really even know how that, what is really bothering them. They just know that they feel anxious or they uh, like something's mm-hmm. missing, but they're not really looking to me to say, Oh, are you going to give me what I'm looking for? They don't even know what it is. It's like, it's like imagining if you had, uh, you know, there was something on a menu that you never even knew existed. You wouldn't go into the restaurant and go, Hey, is there anything else? You know, I'm seeing 20 items, but is there something else or something else I know I need? You wouldn't ask that. You just get general South chicken or you'd get, you know, uh, you know, whatever, a bowl bowl (laughs) of soup or whatever, you know. And, and I think that that yeah. that we live in a world right now that mythologically and archetypally that we're missing certain roles and we don't even know that they even existed, you know. So, well, uh, let me let me ask you let me ask, let me ask you this because that's that's a really great point. Are you familiar with Bill Plotkin and and his works? A little bit, yeah. He's a okay. So he wrote a book, Nature of the Human Soul, and in in referencing this way of being, a, like the, going back to the medicine wheel, and he has a little bit of his own spin on the medicine wheel and the different seasons of life and the important thresholds that we cross from, from one stage of life into another. And one of his points was that there's been a, a traffic jam or a bottlenecking of our, of our natural development as humans over the past few centuries, right at the stage of adolescence because of his, his perception. And I agree with it is that we've lost these rituals that, that, that initiate us into that next stage of life. And what we've, the result is after a a few generations through the industrial revolution, et cetera, we have a whole bunch of leaders that are still adolescents that they, they never made it through that point. And it's created a vacancy of elderhood of elders to hold that space. So right along line with what you're saying, I think a lot of those people would love to be of service in that capacity. They just haven't even gotten there yet. Right. They're still looking for somebody to initiate them into adulthood. And it's created this this whole mess of things. Yeah. And so that's that realization has inspired a lot of of what I believe in, what I'm up to, and other people I recognize like yourself of we, we've got to get the wheel turning again because it's it's gotten log jammed by a kink in the gears and it's it's rippling out into our our whole society. Right, right. Well, you look at like politicians and, and, you know, some of our leaders, people that are like corporate leaders. And, and the, the sense often is, is that the majority of them really are still like, just from the beginning of this interview, where we're talking about, you know, the difference between a man and a boy, a lot of them still feel like they're in it for themselves. They're in it to make as much money, pay as little taxes, do everything to get what they want to get. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the definition of a kid or a boy, not a man, right? So it's not like, well, why do you want to get all that and save all that money and do all that? 
well, it's not necessarily for the good of the tribe. It's for the good of my own personal self-esteem or whatever it might be. Obviously, people who make money give money away. So I'm not bashing people that make money, but I'm just saying that as a, it's just an observation that we don't necessarily have people that are trying to look out for us. They're more looking out for themselves. And that's, that's a, that's an impoverished worldview. So, you know, if, if you, if you live in a, in a situation where you don't feel like anyone's really looking after you or care about you and, and care about your needs emotionally, right. physically, spiritually, whatever, then you can feel really alone. People feel alone. And when you feel alone, you know that you can't make it in the world. You can't make it as, as a tribe. There were no tribes of Indians mm-hmm. that, or, or Papua New Guinea. Tri- there were no tribes of just one individual. There always were a community. And so we know that we can't make it on our own. But in some ways, the, the American, in America anyway, there's the myth of, as a man, I'm, I can do it all, right? You don't really... You don't usually see these movies where the hero has to turn to and ask for help that often, you know, because they kind of go, no, I can get hit in the head with a pipe 10 times, you know, and I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I'll just keep going. Right. Yeah. These, these, these depictions of heroes has definitely, has definitely messed us up a little bit. Right. You know, so I, I really, I really resonate with, with that. And I have a, I have an older, a mentor of mine who Speaking of the political game, he says, "Listen, I can't trust any politician." I said, "Why can't you trust any politicians?" He says, "If your if your only job is to get reelected, <laughs> and 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 that's your mission, right. then we're missing the point. You know, elected officials are meant to be people who represent the people for the people. And right there, you have your distinction of a boy and a man. A boy serves himself; a man serves the world. And these political people have a lot of power, and yet their primary job, above anything else, is to get reelected. Donald Trump." I mean, he's not the only one. He catches all the heat. But when did he he launched his reelection campaign sure. immediately after he got elected? <laughs> it was like he was already planning for the future in that way. So uh, that's that's another whole conversation. I don't I don't necessarily want to go there because I'm sure we could right, go right. on and on about it. But I think it, I think it's also a reflection of this relationship that we have or don't have with nature, with our environment, and. I do a, an initiation weekend with where I bring guys out for three days and we talk about the elements and how you can't be out of relationship with the elements. They're here no matter what. You have running water in your house. You have fire under your under to boil your water. So the elements are always there. It's whether you're conscious of that relationship or not. So how do you connect this, the degree of relationship we are with our environment, with nature, with the elements to the state of our society? Maybe what's happening with kids and the tech revolution right now. Yeah. Well, what that's really, that's great that you do that initiation program. A lot of the people, like kids that we work with, adults that we work with, they, you know, when we go and we learn like wilderness survival skills or something like that, and, you know, it's like, you know, nature skills, experiences, they, you know, we go, we'll go, just give you an example. We'll go outside, we'll walk down the road to a, uh, a wetland and, and there's some willow branches there and we might gather some willows and make, and then bring them back and make arrows or we might make baskets or we might, you know, make a spear or something like that. And while we're down there, we'll like look around and we'll, and we'll try to select the right materials that feel good to us that look like they're in an area where there's a lot of, of plants that are growing very profusely. And we'll just get this whole experience, whether it's, you know, getting bit by deer flies as they buzz around us or, you know, smelling the wildflowers or seeing tracks in the dirt or whatever it is, we're 
we're trying to have an experience that's not really just about the arrows, but it's about the whole thing. And then we come back and we'll sit in the shade and we'll, mm. you know, make our arrows or, you know, peel the bark off or whatever. And, and this idea is I don't like to be super conscious of it. I just like to say nature is where we live. We're part of nature and we're gathering things and get people working with their hands, get them to feel whatever the feeling is, like you said, of whatever it is, if it's raining, it's raining, if it's hot, it's hot, if it's cold, it's cold. And just, and just have us live with that and deal with that and figure out what we're, what we have to do. And that's, you know, that's kind of like the human condition for the last hundred thousand years. So we're, we're built for that. We're built to understand those things. Mm -hmm. When we, when we, you know, kind of stay inside a house for 90% of our lives. I remember seeing a study that a company had hired a university to study indoor air pollution. They wanted to know how much, you know, what's in the air that we breathe when we're inside all the time. And so this, this company is university mm -hmm. basically did a study of like, you know, six major cities in the, in the Southwest and they said how they wanted to find out how much time do people spend indoors. And they realized that after they did the study, they said people in Southern California and in Arizona, New Mexico, 95% of them spend almost 90% of their time indoors throughout the, you know, over the entire year. Wow. And they, you know, that has big health issues or, or uh, considerations because you're breathing indoor air whether you have like toxic stuff in your house mm -hmm. or, you know, rug off gassing or whatever. But it also says a lot about what we as human beings, how little contact we're getting with fresh air, the sunshine, you know, something on bare feet on, you know, walking around and being out in nature. We don't really know. We, this is an experiment that we're living right now that we have no idea what we're testing for or what we're doing. We're experimenting because this has never been done in the history of the human species to have 95% of our, of our time spent indoors and cut off. Yeah. Well, and I, let's talk about that for a minute. Cause the cost of that so much can be like, we, we're, we're also seeing how entire traditions, entire legacies of family, of culture, of, of ceremony, of ways of being and ways of surviving in the world can be lost in two generations. Sure. Most people that I know have no idea who their great grandparents were. Or their great great grandparents, nobody. They they don't know their names, and me included. I don't know their names. I don't know what their life was like. I don't know what they had to do to survive. Right. I don't. I, I didn't. Re, I didn't receive any of that wisdom. So, combining that with how this experiment we're, that we're in, we're experimenting with how do humans operate in a world that's much more controlled. That's much more, at least, a, a appears to be more safe because we have these big walls to box us in, and all of these devices and machine and technology we've created to keep to make life easy and more convenient what happens if that's not there that's that's kind of the underlying conversation that most people don't want to have what happens when your car your house the internet the traffic lights the law enforcement all of that goes away we don't know how to survive 99.9 percent .9 of us don't know how to survive here and so again it just it kind of circles us back to why it's so important what you're doing right you know, re reintroducing, at least giving a basic foundation of wilderness. I don't even know if you, if the word is survival, just wilderness exposure right. is really the, the, the introduction of it all. And, and I think, you know, I, I teach my three and a half year old boy how to, how to harvest wood, how to chop wood, you know, how to think in those ways of being in relationship in your environment. And I don't have to do much teaching. Sure, It's mostly just letting him experience it. And then, and then giving those little, little, tidbits, obviously keeping him safe, but 
just dropping those little things in that get him thinking because he's listening, he's looking around, he's feeling, he's having that multi-sensory experience that you're talking about. So, so, so what do you tell parents? Let's, let's talk about parents for, for sure. right now, because we're the ones that are in between this a little bit and we have the greatest influence, the greatest impact on how we lead our kids. Yeah. Well, well, parents play a really important role because they, you know, you're with those kids the, the most, you're the one that's going to role model things. They are going to imprint on you, especially for ages, you know, zero to seven or zero to eight. You're, you're the one that's going to influence them by how you talk, how do you talk to each other, how do you talk to yourself, how you take care of yourself, how you manage your anxiety, how you, you know, figure out and deal with when life throws you a curveball, you know, all of those things. So they, they're going to be seeing and, and, and soaking in that environment for the parents. And the more that you can model going outside, being, you know, incorporating nature into your life, the more likely they're going to do it. You know, it's the same for food. You know, if you model healthy eating, you know, 90, 80% of the time or whatever, then they're going to model that, you know, so everything is going to come from the parents and for, for younger kids. Mm-hmm. And they, like you said, the kids know that they already know it's their job to explore their environment. They know intuitively that they need to explore, test their limits, try stuff, try climbing a tree, fall down, try climbing up a chair, fall down. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to see if they can ride a bike or run or whatever they're going to do. And the idea is for us to say, well, can we relax? Can we let them fall if they need to? Can we let them ride their bike? Can we, are we going to show them that every time they do anything that might be scary, that are we going to freak out and they're going to feel our, our anxiety or are we going to just really let them go? And for that reason, uh-huh. a lot of parents, uh, I mean, you know, as you know, I know for me, when I, when I had my son, like when you have your child, man, your child is like the most precious thing to you ever. And they don't, they don't really get how precious they are to you. Right. And so native, native cultures, from what I understand, I'm not going to mm-hmm. speak to current native groups, but I, from what I've read is that the role of the uncle or the aunt was a really powerful role because they, they would be, they would come in, not necessarily like your brother or your sister, but more people about your age, they would come in and say, Hey, we'll take your son fishing. We'll take your daughter to go gather clay. We're going to take them. And that will then give you time to kind of take a break. But they also knew that they, they were a little detached. So they, they will let your kids climb around and you know, do things that might be a little dangerous, knowing that you're removed away, yeah. you know, for a few hours or whatever. So, um, so that, that's a, something that as parents, we have to cultivate those relationships with other people who have kids and say, Hey, can you take my kid and go do this stuff? I'll take your kid and go do something with them. In other words, how do we help parent each other's kids and support them and, you know, give them what we need? Because, Otherwise, you're going to be too stressed out. You know, it's, I mean, it's classic parenting problems. You know, you know, how do you help your kids, but also help them grow beyond you because your own fears of playing sports or your own fears of doing things that might be dangerous or, or even just, you know, taking risks or whatever can impact how they see the world. And, and that might not be their reality right. for them. It's hard. Yeah. Like parenting's hard. Uh, let me, let me, let me respond. Let me respond to that for a second because yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. Par- parenting is not easy and we, we are so empathic. We are, we are so sensitive as, as a, as a species that I get it. I get 
especially the maternal instinct to constantly be under your kid on the playground. I, I love observing people. Oh, yeah. it's, it's so much fun. You go to the playground with your kids and you just see how parents parent differently. We tend to live in an area out here in California where there, there's a little bit more laxity in some respects. You know, I think people are starting to get, okay, it's all right if my kid falls down. You know, he, he not, most times he's not going to crack his head open and require us to go to the ER. But it's fascinating and it makes sense to me because I've watched I've watched a ton of nature documentaries over the past six months. And if there's one thing I got from that, it's how violent and how unforgiving the natural world really is. Yeah. And so it makes sense that we as humans with the capacity and the skill set that we have, we've made it as safe and as risk free as possible. I, I get that. I get that. I understand it. And the cost has been so great. I don't think we we could anticipate the cost of creating a culture where we don't allow ourselves to take risks. We don't. We don't even know we're we're risk averse and we're we're unfamiliar to it. So when it comes along, it's it's devastating. We're not prepared right. for it. And whereas in the wild, there's animals that have to abandon that just abandon their children. Sure. You know, if 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 the if the young gazelle gets picked off by a cheetah, it's like, oh damn. <laughs> well, okay, we got to keep got to keep going yeah. on. And for humans to be in that level of conversation, we're just not capable of it. We're not ready for it. And I think it goes, it circles right back to what you were saying about aunties and uncles. It's something I've found because I, for the first three years of my son's life, we lived with two other couples that were our best friends in the world. And they were, he benefited so much from having aunties and uncles around that could take him, that could watch him fall down. And I would, I would watch my best friend fathering him or uncling sure, sure. him, whatever word we want yeah. to use. And I'd be like, man, how can you do that? How can you, how can you be like, how can I be more that way? But what you said is that can't. we can't detach ourselves from how much they matter to us as the parent. And that's why it's so essential, so important. And I see myself doing it for other kids, too. Anytime someone trusts me with their kids, they, they got to know that, hey, I'm going to let them fall. I'm going to let them wrestle. I'm going to let them do whatever they got to do. I'll, I'll make sure that they're safe. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. It's so important for their development. And I'm just glad that you spoke to that because, to me, that's one of the biggest pivots and shifts that we can make right now. Yeah. This generation of parents who's having kids, we can we can choose to be that way right now. We can choose to reinstitute uncling and anteing for each other's kids, and it requires that we build such a foundation of trust with each other that it, it that it does. It takes years of investment. The people who ante and uncle my kids, I've known them for years, yeah. and and I trust them with everything that I've got. It's no problem to send my kids sure. off with them because I know how they be and who they are. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a I, there's a lot of thoughts. I mean. I think that if you're a parent and you have never really developed that kind, those kind of relationships with other people, um, mm -hmm. you know, I know parents that will say, yeah, I don't have any, any of those people like you have in your life. You're really lucky. I don't have that. Most, most parents, most, people. most parents, in fact. And, yeah. yeah. And on top of that, you see steady news streams of missing kids and this and bad things happening and all that. So there's a lot of fear, you know, there's a lot of fear in our culture. And, mm. and so that's, you know, that's a result of our, of our society that's missing those elders and that's missing people, the men that are, you know, boys that are still men, you know, men that are still boys or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really, it's really a difficult time. It's a really difficult time. And I don't know, I don't know if I have the answer except to say, that as as men, sometimes we can take a, take our cues from women. And I, I remember, you know, when when women, so, you know, when mothers see that their kids need something, they will 
they will leave no stone unturned until their kids get what they need. You know, so they'll move, they'll mm-hmm. quit their job, move somewhere. They'll go to a school that the kids can be happy. They'll, they'll move and do whatever they have to do if they're able to, to get their kids what they need. And I think that's kind of what we can do is to say, well, you know, how important is it? You know, again, if you're a father that goes, you know, uh, like, oh, my kid really could benefit from a, going to a wilderness camp. Well, some fathers are, would rather have a, a brand new pickup truck than go to a wilderness camp and send their kids. You know, some mm-hmm. dads would go, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a bear hunt up in Canada, so I'll spend $10,000 on that, but I don't want to spend any money on my kids because that would impact what I need. You know, so again, that's like a, mm-hmm. um, not to say there's anything wrong with needing that, but, you know, in a way it's like, how do you, how do you make decisions? And, and, you know, some I know moms that that will give their kids a bag of Cheetos for breakfast while they and they put their kids to bed with Winnie the Pooh on their iPad telling them, you know, having a story read to them from Disney rather than spending that time, you know, because they don't want to take away from their Netflix binges or whatever it is. So I think I, 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 I wish I could say I wish I could say to you and your listeners that, oh, we're going to figure it out and it's going to be fine or whatever. I don't think it's going to be fine. I think we're we're going to have a society in the next 10 years where there are people who there are kids and people who grow up and got what they needed in life to be able to become men or women and have be actualized human beings who can give back and there's going to be a lot of people who didn't get what they need and are just constantly in high anxiety, not able to give back and really need to be taken care of. And I don't really know mm. what that I don't see that that trend changing anytime soon. I, I think the mm. only thing you can do in a way is to go, I don't, I don't know. I don't think the schools are going to respond quick enough to, be able to give us the result we need. I don't, I don't know. I'm worried. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's like trying to bail out a sinking ship with a teacup. Yes. You know, it's, it, we are definitely, we're definitely on a fast track for some potentially devastating outcomes in our society. And I, I've always been an optimist. Uh, I've, I've noticed that I've gotten older is a little more of a cynical side to me, but I still believe that there is, there's, I wouldn't be doing what I do if I didn't think there was something that could be done. Yeah. And I'm sure you're the same way. You know, we, we, we must spend our lives doing something that we find meaning behind. So if we reduced it to the, the actions we can take that will make the most impact, in your opinion, what would you say that those things are? Well, it's hard to know, you know, it's hard to know where to start because everybody starts at a different place as far as what you need to feel good about yourself. And then how do you also feel good about raising your kids and so forth or, or doing what you can. But I think, I think it does have to start with yourself. It has to start with you giving yourself what you need. And, and if you don't know what that is, to do whatever you have to do, just like those moms, you know, that you have to do whatever you got to do to get what you need. So if you need healthcare or, you know, massage or, or, you know, something downtime, yoga, whatever routine you use that makes you feel good so that you can build that foundation, that inner foundation inside of yourself. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. That's what we try to do with kids at our camp is to give them experiences that help them build that inner foundation, feeling good about themselves when they make an arrow or they make a, a craft and that they know they did all by themselves and helping mm-hmm. them feel good about their relationship to nature and, and having those little milestones when they learn that, you know, mosquitoes aren't the end of the world, you know, ticks aren't the end of the world, mm-hmm. black flies aren't the end of the world, that we can handle those and we, we don't have to get stressed out and lose our minds. You know, and then and then coming back together as a community and sharing that and sharing our stories and saying, how do we bond with each other? How do we bond with our with our friends? How do we bond with our community? 
with our children. You know, I, I really believe that comes down to three things, you know, the, the nature, the relationship we have with nature, because it's so healing. We need to have skills. We need to have skills that we can use to take care of ourselves. And we need bond. We need to be bonded with our, our own little tribe and whatever that, in whatever way that looks. Mm. And if we're missing that, I call that, that those three things, the natural advantage. If you have that natural advantage, you're going to, you're going to make it because one of those things is powerful, but the, the combination of those three things is, is just like uh, it's, it's hardwired into us. And when you have it, you're just able to take care of your, you're going to be able to be a, a wellspring of connection for other people. You'll start actually attracting people who come and want to be part of what you're doing. Right. All right. Can you, can you say those three things one more time? Cause I, I, I think it's yeah. beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's such a great yeah. Trinity there. Yeah. So it's uh it's, it's, it's kind of like three ingredients to a recipe. So it's called the natural advantage mm -hmm. and it's having a strong connection to na the natural world in whatever way you can. It's about having skills that you can use to take care of yourself in life or in, in the wilderness or whatever. Something that has to do with the skill of like being able to make things, produce things, fix things, handle your business, whatever way that is. And then the last one is about bonding. Can you learn to tell your story? Can you connect with people? Can you learn how to listen? Can you be empathic? Be part of a, of a collective of people, whether it's your family or your tribe or your circle of friends. And if you, mm -hmm. have, if you have like one of those things or two of those things, it's awesome. But if you have all three, you're, you're going to be firing on all cylinders, so to speak. And that's kind of what I see. I think parents can give their kids. They can tell the stories and tell stories of their day and tell stories and, and listen to the stories of their kids. I think they can give kids the skills that they need, whether it's tying their shoes or using a hatchet or cooking a, you know, quesadilla, whatever that helps them mm -hmm. to become self-actualized and then being out in nature and letting nature kind of wash over us and renew us and give us all the good things that come from a connection, whether it's anxiety or blood pressure or just having fun or, you know, that feeling of, of connection you know that if you've got those three things your your recipe is going to be solid it's like a cho chocolate chip cookies you know what i mean like if you don't have the chocolate chips in there it's not the right <laughs> way thing you know if there's no butter and it there's no the, sugar the right way. <laughs> so yeah that's so good man it's uh, the, what came to my mind was it's like making a good salad dressing you need right. that sweet you need that savory and you need that salty and if you don't have it all in there there's there's gonna be something missing you, so true. you can have a, you can have a Decent salad dressing with some sweet, but you really need the all three of them together. So isn't that true? That's that's great. That's gold right there. Anybody who who's listening, if you heard that, go back, listen to it a few more times, and and really assess how you are or are not allowing for those three different things in your life. And as you were saying that, I was going through my own processes. How am I? How do I connect with people? How do I? How am I teaching my children and modeling for my children how to tell stories? Yeah, to share experience. How. How am I having my own relationship with nature, working with my hands, doing something that is outside of the typical infrastructure that we have around us? Because we got computers to do everything for us nowadays. Right. You know, we don't need this human body. And, then, and, and therefore, we're making ourselves irrelevant. We're making the human body, the human being irrelevant for life to continue the way it will. That's, I, that's what I think we're seeing. You know, it's, it's a little bit sci-fi, but when you really think about it, we're making human beings irrelevant, right. except for the fact that we still have free will and empathy. Those are two things you'll never be able to take away from us. So we'll feel suffering until the day that the human body is completely irrelevant. And who knows that? I guess that's like the dark, cynical side of me that that may that may that could be where we go. But 
um, I have faith that more and more people will embrace these three components. And by doing so, maybe hope my, the best outcome I can see is that the stories they'll tell 100 years from now is that this was uh, somewhat of a dark age for humans and that we, we emerged into a golden age of reconnecting with what really matters and figuring out how to how to embrace everything and see ourselves as part of the environment and not separate from it. Right. Some people say, go out in nature. I say, why don't you look at the nature in yourself and bring na- bring your nature into nature? Right. Let your nature connect with the nature that's out there too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's what we do with, with kids is that we try to, and, and this, this is kind of rare, is that a lot of people, what they think of going into nature is just going on like a walk. You know, you're just like on a trail, you're just walking. And that's really awesome. If you can get out on a trail, that's fantastic. But it really helps if you can gather something, if you can touch things, if you can find a way to get to know the personalities of the animals or the trees or the plants and what they like. And and the more you can kind of, into, you know, put yourself into the natural world as, as part of it, the more, the more benefit you're going to get. Mm. Unfortunately, you can't do that in a national park or a state park because if everybody did that, you know, Yosemite would be stripped bare or, you know, we can't all go up to, sure. you know, one of the parks and just take sticks or whatever. But there are places where you can. And so if you're, you know, that's one reason why I like being on the East Coast is that if I cut down five trees to make spears with kids, you know, two years later, those trees are right back up again because we have so much water and so much uh, life that it just, right. it's like a jungle. It's like a jungle here. You wouldn't even notice. I, I don't think people would even come here and notice that we've taken stuff on the land because sure. even though we've been here for 20 years, mm. but the more you can kind of like find things, you know, whether you can find some cattails or, or bark or whatever, and then weave a little, you know, weave a little basket or weave a little something or make things then you really feel like you belong. And there's, you would not believe how much pride children feel and adults feel when they take a piece of bark off of a tree and peel it and make a little basket and sew it up. They're just like, oh, I made that. Look at that. You know? And we're, we're, a, we're a nation of consumers. So our idea of life is to go, hey, every Saturday I drive to Target and I walk around until I find something and I buy, and I buy something. I consume something. And, but really, we're, we're a species that's meant to be living with nature, taking things and then making, you know, being producers. And that feels really good. Mm. And that that's something that to me, the beautiful thing about every one of those elements in that recipe feels really good to us as human beings. Like it's just going to feel fantastic to go, Hey, I shared this story and everyone listened to it, or I made this thing and everybody loved it or, you know, whatever it is. Or I went out in the woods and I saw you know, I saw a hawk kill a rabbit right in front of me and it was incredible. And, and now you have a story which you can share, which everybody then loves. So it all, they all kind of fit together, in mm-hmm. a way, you know, and that's really important. Yeah. It's, it, it's amazing, man. I, I, I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you because it, it, it lights that fire in me. It's, it's so hard to go back out into the world and see how many people aren't having this conversation. And it's not, it's, it's not separating myself from anyone else or thinking that I'm any better or any, sure, any no. more well off. Just the fact that I, it's like finding somebody that speaks your language. It's like living in a foreign land and finding someone else who speaks your language. You're like, Oh man, right? where have you been? Like, uh, you know, tell me more about you, where you're from. Let's, let's, let's exchange notes. You know, you see people like that from that have accents and from different countries, you know, they find each other and it's like finding family that you never had before. So I'm personally really inspired by this conversation. And I think that it's the conversation that we need to be having. You know, there's a lot of conversation. There's political, there's economic, totally. there's social, there's family structures. And to me, this is the one true conversation. How are we being in relationship with everything around us? And what can we be doing better in that regard? And so 
I just really want to thank you for the work that you've been doing because clearly you said you've been doing it for, is it 30 years? 30 been years. doing your yeah. programs? Yeah, 30 years. Incredible, man. Incredible. I mean, and you probably will never see the extent of the impact that you've had because there's, there's, I'm sure there's some children that have gone through your programs that you don't even know what they got from, from being there. You may have saw glimpses of it, but right. I remember stuff from when I was in school that, uh, that a teacher taught me. They probably didn't even know what they were saying, and it sticks with me. Yeah. So that's also what I remember when it comes to kids and, and that type of work. Totally. Yeah. You, I, you, yeah. The problem with kids for me is that you never really know what seeds will catch, but you just plant as many as you can. And that's the same for being a parent. You know, you're, you're planting seeds, you're, you're giving them a taste of a lot of different kinds of things and then seeing what happens. You know, you could give them a taste of 20 different foods and they're probably going to still want, you know, mac and cheese every night or whatever for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at some point they're going to turn around and say, can I have some of those Brussels sprouts? And you're going to go, yay, I made it. I did it. You know? <laughs> yeah, man, that's how it is. It's, it's good. It's really good. I, I really like the work you're doing about this. And I think I, I just want to say to the, to the, any men that are listening to this, if you, if you are struggling in any way or, you know, just trying to figure things out, like getting out in nature is really, it, it will help you a lot to just be out there, just connecting, giving yourself time to either be out there alone or, or going with a friend. And it doesn't have to be like you're scaling Kilimanjaro or something. It's, it's like the simplest things. And then just sharing things, sharing stories about what you're going through or what you saw or, you know, a person that you talk to are, are super great. And then just try to do one skill a week. Just do some small thing that you could practice, that you could learn, you know, that it could be tying a knot. It could be a, it could be a lot of things that can just really make a difference for you're going to be glad that you're going to go, Hey, you know what? I, maybe I binge watch stranger things on Netflix, but I also made, you know, made a birdhouse or, <laughs> you know, tried a new recipe. I, I tried a recipe. Yeah. I know I did that a few, a few months ago. I just sat and said, I'm going to learn three Indian dishes. And so I made, I made some dishes with Indian spices that I'd never done before. And, you know, so, uh, two of them were pretty positive. Mm. One of them was a mess that my family said I didn't do well on. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I was like, hey, now I have two more recipes I can throw into the mix. And that's, that's that yeah. to me, that made me feel really good that no one can take that away from me. You know, it doesn't matter what headline I read. I can still say, hey, I still feel pretty good about the fact that I'm, I'm building that inner foundation for myself. Yes. Yeah, yes. this is really good. Well, I, I love, what, awesome, I love the work man. you're doing here too. So this is fantastic. Oh, well, thank you, man. Before we officially wrap all this up, I've got a couple lightning round questions that I want to ask you. Okay. So, uh, so let's do that and then we'll, we'll tie it all with a bow. What is one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? I didn't really have an active dad in my life. And I wish that I had somebody who could help me develop a routine like how to develop a personal routine to really in a habit of getting things done that I, I tended, I tend to be really creative and kind of scattered. And I, and I know that it would have been helpful for me to have somebody who could help me focus that a little earlier. Mm. Definitely. That would have saved a lot of time and energy for me. Over the years. <laughs> so that's number one. If you can find some right. way to have a routine, you know, whatever it is, that's super awesome. Nice. And then what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? A value of being able to spend time with yourself and to ask yourself and connect to yourself in a way that lets you trust trust your feelings and, and to first identify your feelings and then trust them. So I guess it's that self-reflection that that's to me is like really important, and, you know, not to just go have a beer with somebody and bitch about, you know, why things are, you know, why your boss sucks or your job, but to actually like really go inside. And, and that that's like a, a real value to me is getting getting to know yourself and kind of tuning in and then being able to kind of trust that. 
Awesome. Awesome, Ricardo. And and the last one, man, how, how can people follow you, find you, learn more about what you're doing with Hawk Circle and maybe if there's a website or social, social media links? Sure. Well, I'm on Facebook, so people can look me up as Ricardo Sierra on Facebook. You can also find me at the uh, hawkcircle.com, which is our website. And we've got a couple of like free gifts and things like that. People can can get, uh, you know, I've got uh, programs on storytelling and how to get kids into nature on there that are free. So yeah, hawkcircle.com is good. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So just look me up and you'll probably start finding. And I did a TED talk last September. So you can look up on uh, helping our kids work through this whole generation of nature deficit disorder. So nice. Yeah. We'll definitely make sure we share that one up and send that one around because cool. I'm sure there's a lot of gold in that. And, and for the Hawk Circle, are, are, is that something that is happening in upstate New York? Is it in other different places as well? Yeah, we mostly work out of upstate New York, but I do travel. So, you know, every now and then I'll have a group of people that will say, hey, we've got a bunch of kids over here. Can you come out and teach something? Or the adults will say, hey, would you come out and do a program for us? You know, happy awesome. to do that. And so definitely give us a call. But we mostly do retreats here and we do summer camps for kids. And they're they're really nice, mm. powerful things. And the place we have is really kind of nestled into a, a place of nature that is almost like a, a land time, that time for God or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's like, you know, just like wildflowers and birds and, and, and animals and, you know, just gorgeous sunsets and clouds. It's just really, really beautiful up here. So Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, everybody, if you're listening, make sure you go and connect with Ricardo. He's doing some amazing work. I think that folks like yourself are really the unsung heroes doing the work that is going to make a difference for our for our society, for our culture, for the next seven generations. And so I really, really support what you're doing, man. And I appreciate you taking the time to have this dialogue. This was, this was a powerful conversation, man. I, I could go on forever talking about this stuff with you, but yeah. uh, we got to get back out in the world and do our thing, right? <laughs> I, feel, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Awesome, man. Well, we'll, we'll have to bring you on here again sometime. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go deeper okay. into some of these other topics we didn't get to do. But thanks again, brother, and keep doing the good work out there. Thank you. I hope you guys don't get tired of this topic because truthfully, this is the foundation behind everything that I do. Everything in the Rising Man podcast, everything in my life regarding men's work and mentoring men is all connected to what are we passing on to our children? What are we passing on to the next generation in terms of culture? In this particular dialogue, what are we giving our children in terms of context when it comes to nature, when it comes to wilderness, when it comes to the nature within us? connecting to the natural world, what are we giving them? Are we giving them an opportunity to connect to that? Are we polishing that? Are we, are we nurturing that relationship and encouraging them to have that and to deepen into that relationship? We're not. And if we're not, then what are we setting them up for? What, what are we handing off to them? So many questions, so many good insights in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure you guys grab your tickets for Call of the Warrior. Head over to rise.jettyazuma.com slash warrior. Remember, mark your calendar is September 7th in LA. I can't wait to see y'all there. It's going to be incredible. Check out the show notes for links and resources on this episode at therisingmanpodcast.com. As always, please subscribe or follow us on the podcast app of your choice. Leave a review, leave a comment, leave a five-star rating. It really goes a long way towards pushing the Rising Man up the charts and getting even more of these amazing guests interested in being on this show. So please do your part. Give us that review, give us that rating, and share this up with a man in your life who needs some more Rising Man in his life. 
Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast, where all the amazing content from these shows, the clips, the images, visuals of what we're talking about here on the show represented on our Instagram. My man Rowan doing a great job over there. Please check us out. Give us a follow. Share our page with another man in your life who needs to start following us today. Go do that right now. Share it up. Put it on your stories. Put it on your wall. Whatever you're going to do. Let other people know about what we're doing here, please. Goes a long way. Big shouts to my power team, Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics, at Infinite Melodics with an X on Instagram. Rowan Tyne, Julian Subic, Mark Rose, the men in my life who are helping hold up this vision and this mission with me, along with each and every one of you. But these guys are my soldiers on the front lines and I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. 